Chapter Four of the Struggles of Brown, Jones, and Robinson by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nine times nine is eighty-one, showing how Brown, Jones, and Robinson selected their house of business. And haberdashery it was but there was much yet to be done before any terms for a partnership could be settled. Mr. Jones at first insisted that he and his father-in-law should begin business on equal terms. He considered that any questions as to the actual right in the property would be mean after their mutual agreement to start in the world as friends. But to this Mr. Brown not unnaturally objected. "'Then I shall go back to my lawyer,' said Jones. Whereupon he did leave the room, taking his hat with him, but he remained below in the old shop. "'If I am to go into partnership with that man alone,' said Mr. Brown, turning to his young friend almost in despair, "'I may prepare for the Gazette at once, and for my grave,' he added solemnly. I'll join you, said Robinson. I haven't got any money, you know that, but then neither has he. I wish you had a little, said Mr. Brown. Capital is capital, you know. But I've got that which is better than capital, said Robinson, touching his forehead with his forefinger. And if you'll trust me, Mr. Brown, I won't see you put upon... The promise which Mr. Robinson then gave he kept ever afterwards with a marked fidelity. "'I will trust you,' said Mr. Brown. "'It shall be Brown, Jones, and Robinson.' "'And Brown, Jones, and Robinson shall carry their heads high among the greatest commercial firms of this wealthy metropolis,' said Robinson, with an enthusiasm which was surely pardonable at such a moment." Mr. Jones soon returned with another compromise, but it was of a low, peddling nature. It had reference to sevenths and eighths, and went into the payments of the household bills. "'I, as one of the partners, must object to any such arrangements,' said Robinson. "'You, you, one of the partners?' said Jones. "'If you have no objection, certainly,' said Robinson." and if you should have any objection, equally so. You, a bill-sticker, said Jones. In the presence of William Brisket, George Robinson had been forced to acknowledge that matter must still occasionally prevail over mind, but he felt no such necessity in the presence of Jones. I'll tell you what it is, said Robinson. I've never denied my former calling, among friends, I often talk about it. But mind you, Mr. Jones, I won't bear it from you. I'm not very big myself, but I think I could stand up before you. But in this quarrel they were stopped by Mr. Brown. Let dogs delight, he said, or sung, to bark and bite. And then he raised his two fat hands feebly, as though deprecating any further wrath. As usual on such occasions, Mr. Robinson yielded, and then explained in very concise language the terms on which it was proposed that the partnership should be opened. 
Mr. Brown should put his capital into the business and be entitled to half the profits. Mr. Jones and Mr. Robinson should give the firm the advantage of their youth, energies, and genius, and should each be held as the possessor of a quarter. That Mr. Jones made long and fierce objections to this need hardly be stated. It is believed that he did, more than once, go back to his lawyer. But Mr. Brown, who, for the time, put himself into the hands of his youngest partner, remained firm, and at last the preliminaries were settled. The name of the house, the nature of the business, and the shares of the partners were now settled and the sight of the future labors of the firm became the next question. Mr. Brown was in favor of a small tenement in Little Britain near to the entrance into Smithfield. There would not be scope there, said Robinson. And no fashion, said Jones. It's safe and respectable, pleaded Mr. Brown. There have been shops in Little Britain these sixty years in the same families. But Robinson was of opinion that the fortunes of the firm might not improbably be made in six, if only they would commence with sufficient distinction. He had ascertained that large and commanding premises might be had in St. Paul's churchyard, in the frontage of which the square feet of plate glass could be counted by the hundred. It was true that the shop was nearly all window, but then, as Mr. Robinson said, an extended front of glass was the one thing necessary, and it was true also that the future tenants must pay down a thousand pounds before they entered, but then, as he explained, how could they better expend the trifle of money which they possessed? Trifle of money? said Mr. Brown thinking of the mountains of butter and years of economy which had been required to put together those four thousand pounds, thinking also, perhaps, of the absolute impecuniosity of his young partner, who thus spoke. Jones was for the West End and Regent Street. There was a shop only two doors off Regent Street which could be made to look as if it was almost in Regent Street. The extension of a side piece of plate glass would show quite into Regent Street. He even prepared a card describing the house as Two Doors from Regent Street, printing the figure and the words Regent Street very large and the intermediate description very small. It was ever by such stale, inefficient artifices as these that he sought success. Who will care for your card, said Robinson, when a man's card comes to be of use to him, the thing's done. He's living in his villa by that time, and has his five thousand a year out of the profits. I hope you'll both have your villas before long, said Brown, trying to keep his partners in good humor. But a cottage horny will be enough for me. I'd like to be able to give my children their bit of dinner on Sunday hot and comfortable. I want no more than that. That was a hard battle, and it resulted in no victory. The dingy shop in Little Britain was, of course, out of the question, and Mr. Brown assisted Robinson in preventing that insane attempt at aping the unprofitable glories of Regent Street. The matter ended in another compromise and a house was taken in Bishopsgate Street, 
of which the frontage was extensive and commanding, but as to which it must certainly be confessed that the back part of the premises was inconveniently confined. It isn't exactly all I could wish, said Robinson, standing on the pavement as he surveyed it, but it will do. With a little originality and some dash, we'll make it do. We must give it a name. A name? said Mr. Brown. It's 81 Bishopsgate Street, ain't it? They don't call houses names in London. That's just why we'll have a name for ours, Mr. Brown. The Albert Emporium, suggested Jones, or the Victoria Mart. Mr. Jones, as will be seen, was given to tuft hunting to the backbone. His great ambition was to have a lion and unicorn, and to call himself haberdasher to a royal prince. He had never realized the fact that profit, like power, comes from the people, and not from the court. I wouldn't put up the queen's arms if the queen came and asked me, Robinson once said in answer to him. That game has been played out, and it isn't worth the cost of the two wooden figures. The temple of fashion would do very well, said Jones. The temple of fiddlestick, said Robinson. Of course you say so, said Jones. Let dogs delight, began Mr. Brown, standing as we were in the middle of the street. And I'll tell you what, said Robinson, there's nothing like color. We'll call it Magenta House, and we'll paint it magenta from the roof to the window tops. This beautiful tint had only then been invented, and it was necessary to explain the word to Mr. Brown. He merely remarked that the oil and paint would come to a deal of money, and then gave way. Jones was struck dumb by the brilliancy of the idea, and for once forgot to object. And I'll tell you what, said Robinson, nine times nine is eighty-one. Certainly, certainly, said Mr. Brown, who delighted to agree with his younger partner when circumstances admitted it. You are right there, certainly. Jones was observed to go through the multiplication table mentally, but could detect no error. Nine times nine is eighty-one, repeated Robinson with confidence, and we'll put that fact up over the first-floor windows. And so they did. The house was painted magenta color from top to bottom, and on the front in very large figures and letters was stated the undoubted fact that nine times nine is eighty-one. If they will only call us the nine times nine, the thing is done, said Robinson. Nevertheless, the house was christened Magenta House. And now about glass, said Robinson, when the three had retired to the little back room within. Mr. Robinson, however, admitted afterwards that he was wrong about the color and the number. Such methods of obtaining attention were, he said, too easy of imitation and devoid of any inherent attraction of their own. People would not care for nine times nine in Bishopsgate Street, if there were nine times nines in other streets as well. No, said he, I was but beginning, and made errors as beginners do. Outside there should be glass, gas, gold, and glare. Inside there should be the same, with plenty of brass, 
and, if possible, a little wit. If those won't do it, nothing will. All the same, the magenta color and the nine times nine did have their effect. Nine times nine is eighty-one was printed on the top of all the flying advertisements issued by the firm, and the printing was all done in magenta. Mr. Brown groaned sorely over the expenditure that was necessary in preparation of the premises. His wish was that this should be paid for in ready money, and indeed it was necessary that this should be done to a certain extent. But the great object should have been to retain every available shilling for advertisements. In the way of absolute capital, money to be paid for stock, four thousand pounds was nothing. But four thousand pounds scattered broadcast through the metropolis on walls, omnibuses, railway stations, little books, pavement chalkings, illuminated notices, porters' backs, gilded cars, and men in armor, would have driven nine times nine into the memories of half the inhabitants of London. The men in armor were tried. Four suits were obtained in Poland Street, and four strong men were hired who rode about town all day on four brewers' horses. They carried poles with large banners, and on the banners were inscribed the words which formed the shibboleth of the firm. Magenta House, nine times nine is eighty-one, Bishopsgate Street. And four times a day these four men in armor met each other in front of the windows of the house and stood there on horseback for fifteen minutes with their backs to the curbstone. The forage, however, of the horses became so terribly large an item of expenditure that Mr. Brown's heart failed him. His heart failed him, and he himself went off late one evening to the livery stable-keeper who supplied the horses. And, in Mr. Robinson's absence, the armor was sent back to Poland Street. "'We should have had the police down upon us, George,' said Mr. Brown, deprecating the anger of his younger partner. "'And what better advertisement could you have wished?' said Robinson. It would have been in all the papers, and have cost nothing. But don't you know, George, what them beastesses was eating? It was frightful to hear of. Four and twenty pounds of corn a day, each of them, because the armor was so uncommon heavy. The men in armor were then given up, but they certainly were beginning to be effective. At six p.m., when the men were there, it had become impossible to pass the shop without going into the middle of the street, and on one or two occasions the policeman had spoken to Mr. Brown. Then there was a slight accident with a child, and the newspapers had interfered. But we are anticipating the story, for the men in armor did not begin their operations till the shop had been opened. And now, about glass, said Robinson, as soon as the three partners had retired from the outside flags into the interior of the house. "'It must be plate, of course,' said Jones. "'Plate!' He might as well have said, when wanting a house, that it must have walls. "'I rather think so,' said Robinson, "'and a good deal of it.' "'I don't mind a good-sized common window,' said Brown." A deal better have them uncommon, said Robinson, interrupting him. And remember, sir, there's nothing like glass in these days, 
It has superseded leather altogether in that respect. Leather? said Mr. Brown, who was hardly quick enough for his junior partner. Of all our materials now in general use, said Robinson, glass is the most brilliant and yet the cheapest, the most graceful and yet the strongest. Though transparent, it is impervious to wet. The eye travels through it, but not the hailstorm. To the power of gas it affords no obstacle, but it is as efficient a barrier against the casualties of the street as an iron shutter. To that which is ordinary it lends a grace, and to that which is graceful it gives a double luster. Like a good advertisement it multiplies your stock tenfold, and like a good servant it is always eloquent in praise of its owner. I look upon plate glass, sir, as the most glorious product of the age, and I regard the tradesman who can surround himself with the greatest quantity of it as the most in advance of the tradesmen of his day. Oh, sir, whatever we do, let us have glass. It's beautiful to hear him talk, said Mr. Brown, but it's the bill I'm a-thinking of. If you will only go enough ahead, Mr. Brown, you'll find that nobody will trouble you with such bills. But they must be paid some day, George. Of course they must, but it will never do to think of that now. In twelve months or so, when we have set the house well going, the payment of such bills as that will be a mere nothing, a thing that will be passed as an item not worth notice. Faint heart never won fair lady, you know, Mr. Brown. And then a cloud came across George Robinson's brow as he thought of the words he had spoken, for his heart had once been faint and his fair lady was by no means one. "'That's quite true,' said Jones. "'It never does. Ha, ha, ha!' Then the cloud went away from George Robinson's brow, and a stern frown of settled resolution took its place. At that moment he made up his mind that when he might again meet that giant butcher, he would forget the difference in their size, and accost him as though they two were equal. What though some fell blow leveled as at an ox should lay him low for ever, better that than endure from day to day the unanswered taunts of such a one as Jones. Mr. Brown, though he was not quick-witted, was not deficient when the feelings of man and man were concerned. He understood it all, and taking advantage of a moment when Jones had stepped up to the shop, he pressed Robinson's hand and said, you shall have her, George. If a father's word is worth anything, you shall have her. But in this case, as in so many others, a father's word was not worth anything. But to business, said Robinson, shaking off from him all thoughts of love. After that, Mr. Brown had not the heart to oppose him, respecting the glass, and in that matter he had everything nearly his own way. The premises stood advantageously at the corner of a little alley, so that the window was made to jut out sideways in that direction, and a full foot and a half was gained. On the other side the house did not stand flush with its neighbor, as is not unfrequently the case in Bishopsgate Street, and here also a few inches were made available. The next neighbor, a quiet old man who sold sticks, threatened a lawsuit, 
but that had it been instituted would have got into the newspapers and been an advertisement there was considerable trouble about the entrance a wide commanding centre doorway was essential but this if made in the desirable proportions would have terribly crippled the side windows to obviate this difficulty the exterior space allotted for the entrance between the frontage of the two windows was broad and noble but the glass splayed inward toward the shop so that the absolute door was decidedly narrow when we come to have a crowd they won't get in and out said jones if we could only crush a few to death in the doorway our fortune would be made said robinson god forbid said mr brown god forbid let us have no bloodshed whatever we do in about a month the house was completed and much to the regret of both the junior partners a considerable sum of ready money was paid to the tradesmen who performed the work mr jones was of opinion that by sufficient cunning such payments might be altogether evaded no such thought rested for a moment in the bosom of mr robinson all tradesmen should be paid and paid well but the great firm of brown jones and robinson would be much less likely to scrutinize the price at which the plate glass was charged to them per square foot when they were taking their hundreds a day over the counter than they would be now when every shilling was of importance to them for their own sake you shouldn't do it said he to mr brown you may be quite sure they don't like it i always liked it myself said mr brown and thus he would make his little dribbling payments by which an unfortunate idea was generated in the neighborhood that money was not plentiful with the firm end of chapter four recording by arnold banner thurmond north carolina